Thanks for joining us today on the Restoration Church Podcast. Today's episode is the last in our remix series and is entitled, The Power of a Better Story. We hope you enjoy. Uh, there is a story uh, that uh, a guy named George Barrett tells, and uh, it's, it's really cool. It's a story about um, two guys who are in a hospital, and in the in this story, uh, this is a unique hospital setting in that it... it these two guys end up in the same room together in a very small room. This was several years ago where most people would have been in one room. Uh, so it was kind of unique that they were in this one room together, uh, just two people in the bed, uh, and uh, two people in one room in two different beds. Uh, their treatment was pretty restrictive in that they were both told to lay flat on their back all day long, uh, except for one hour a day. Uh, they, they, were allowed to, uh, they were allowed to get up and uh, one of them was allowed to sit up. And this, in this little small room, it was a pretty tiny room, had a door, two beds, and then a window near the bed, bed uh, on the opposite side of the room is a door. So you can imagine it, right? Well, the gentleman that was nearest the window for an hour every day, he was allowed to sit up. And uh, during that time, he could actually look out the window. But you can imagine all the time that would pass for days and days and days when you could actually stay in the hospital for multiple days if you needed to. Um, for days and days and days, they would sit and they would talk and they would get to know each other. And they, they got to where they knew everything about each other. Uh, there, was, there were very few things that, that they weren't aware of. I talked about their families and their histories and their backgrounds. And uh, even got to a point where... Uh, the, the gentleman that was closest to the door who couldn't sit up in his bed every day, uh, he would ask the other gentleman during his one hour that he was sitting up to tell him what he saw at the window. And it, became the, uh, it became that gentleman's favorite hour of the day because, because his friend near the window would tell him about the park that was outside of the room and he would describe to him the lake that, that the park was nestled around and off, to the, off into the horizon you could see the city. And in this park, you could see baseball games going on, and you could see uh, uh, new people dating and holding hands, walking across trails, and the flowers blooming, and the beautiful things outside the window. It became one of the favorite moments, if not the favorite moment, of both of them every single day, this hour where, where the gentleman could describe what he was seeing outside the window. Uh, he lived for it, especially the guy who couldn't, who couldn't lift up in his bed and who couldn't really do anything other than look straight up at the ceiling. He looked for this hour uh, where, uh, where he could hear about all the beautiful things that were going on in the park. But before long, he got a little frustrated. Why can't I look out the window? Why can't I have the bed next to the window? He got frustrated. One night, this great friend of his began to struggle for breath and uh, can cough, struggle, and it was clear he needed help but he couldn't reach the call button. His friend sitting next to the door processed in his mind whether he should reach over and pull the call button for his friend, but he decided if he just let him pass, maybe he could look out the window the next day. And so he did. The next day came, and uh, after a few days, once it was uh, respectful enough to do so, he asked the nurses if he could move next to the window. And he patiently waited until they left the room. And as soon as they did, he lifted his bed up so he could get a view out of the window and saw that there was a brick wall. Now I'll tell you that story to remind us of the power of a story. 
power of that story that his friend told him every single day kept him going, kept him living, kept his life full of light and full of sunshine. The story was so powerful even that it drove him to make a horrible mistake or make a horrible decision. That's the power of a story. Each of us, as we walk into this room today, we are looking for a better story. We're hungering for a story to help define us, help tell us and talk to us about uh, who we are, what the world is, what life is about. We're looking for a better story. There's an interesting quote from a gentleman uh, philosopher named Alistair McIntyre. Um, he says this, All people are living out some mental world story that gives their lives meaning. Human actions are an acted narrative. Uh, in a commentary about this, uh, about this idea, uh, he asks you to imagine that you're standing at a bus stop when a young man you do not know comes to you and says, the name of the common wild duck is Histrionicus, Histrionicus, Histrionicus. Kind of crazy, right? Even though you understand the sentence, his action makes no sense. What does it mean? The only way to make sense of it is try to learn the story into which this event fits. Perhaps this young man is mentally ill. That would explain it. Or what if yesterday some, someone of your gender, age, height, and general appearance had approached the young man in the library, asked him the Latin word for the wild duck, and today he had mistaken you for that person? That would probably explain it too. Or perhaps the young man is a foreign spy waiting at a prearranged rendezvous and uttering the ill-chosen code sentence which will identify him to his contact. The first story is sad. The second is comic. And the third is dramatic. But the point is, without a handle on the story, the event has no meaning. Story, the right story, gives us meaning. It's why uh, one of the top 50 books, business books of all times is called uh, He Who Tells the Best Story Wins. You guys have been a part of culture, uh, maybe you've been a part of a corporate organization, maybe even in your family, you've seen stories define it. I, uh, I, had, I was tempted to tell you stories from my family. Uh, I grew up and every time the families would get together, I have on one side of my family an Uncle Jack and on the other side of my family an Uncle Bubba. In Alabama, you are required by law, everyone, to have an Uncle Bubba. <laughs> and uh, between my dad, my Uncle Bubba, and my Uncle Jack, when we got together, we told stories. And those stories define for me, without me even being aware of it, what it meant to engage life, what it meant to be a, a human, what it meant to be successful, what it meant to, to dream, to live, to aspire. Even as a kid, uh, my, the stories of my family impacted me at a subconscious but very powerful level. I think all of us as a kid remember those days when we'd watch the TV shows, whether it was when I was young, Dukes of Hazard, or when you were young, uh, you know, maybe it was something like, I don't know, uh, the Power Andy Rangers. Show. What was Andy Griffith show for that, that age group? Uh, yeah, I've, I've watched those too. Um, maybe uh, Andy Griffith show or Lone Ranger or uh, Power Rangers for some of you, for those of the uh, younger crowd. Uh, and what would we do after you watch those shows? We'd go dress up and we would reenact those, those moments. We dressed up like Spider-Man and Batman or if we were the female, the princess. Why? Because we wanted a better story. 
We are longing for it. And as we look at our lives, you look around your day and you look at how you spend your morning, how you spend your afternoon. Maybe you look at the mundane things in your life of going into work, punching the clock, punching out again and again and again and again. Maybe you look at your marriage this morning. Maybe you look at your lack of a marriage or your destroyed marriage or your broken marriage. You look at your children. You look at your house. You look at all the things in your life and you look at it and you go, man, I just need a better story. Paul is going to tell us in 1 Corinthians 3 uh, what it means to be a part of a better story. And we're going to capture actually just a little bit of a subplot of his big narrative. Uh, a little bit, a little bitty story, if you will, of him explaining what it looks like to be a part of his journey, of his story, and how he joined the greater story of Christ, of living on mission uh, in the area in the world he looked in. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, before we do... There are three stories that you see in this text, or three word pictures. I'm going to tell you what they are, and then we're going to read the text a little bit more specifically. So the first one, you're, we're not going to read it today, but uh, you can just look up for later reference and see that it's there. It's in the first few verses of chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And it's a word picture of a nursing child. And Paul uses that to capture the idea that mission is that intimate, that relational. Mission happens in the context of community. Mission happens in the, in the context of intimate relationships. A mission doesn't happen on a Saturday event from 9 to 12. Mission doesn't happen by going on a trip for a week. Mission is life. Mission is what God has called us to do to be all the time. And in that context, God is inviting us to join Him on mission. And when we join Him on mission, we engage in building relationships with those who need to know Him. That's the first word picture. The second word picture is that of a field or harvest or crop. Uh, that is what, what Paul spends most of his time in verses 5 uh, around verse, verse 8 uh, going through this, this word picture of a crop or harvest. And then the final word picture he gives us is that of a building. So with that in mind, let's read chapter, five, uh, chapter 3 verse 5 together. And I'll read it to you. I think you should have it on the screen. And uh, we'll, we'll dig into it. We'll explain a little bit of it. And then we'll uh, make some points and applications. Verse 5. So what is Apollos? And what is Paul? Apollos is another missionary at this time, very similar to Paul. Uh, if you look, you don't have to look over the now, but if you look over there later in chapter 1, uh, Paul addresses the idea that there are a lot of factions. Some people are proud of the fact that Paul was their missionary, some that Apollos, some that Peter. Uh, you can read into this, there was a lot of division. They weren't focused on the kingdom of God and being a part of, of, their, of building his kingdom. They were focused on building their factions. Paul's rebuking them as a part of his missionary endeavor. They are servants through whom you believed, and each has given the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. There's a reason why those two verses almost repeat one another. Um, I'll explain that in a minute. Verse 8. Now the one who uh, plants and the one who waters are equal. And each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field. God's building. And he switches now in verse 10 into this other word picture of a building, a building. According to God's grace that was given to me as a skilled master builder, have I laid a foundation and another builds on it. But each one must be careful how he builds on it. But because no one can lay any other foundation than that which has been laid, that is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, uh, costly stones, wood, hay, or stubble, each one's work will become obvious for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. 
If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, it will be lost, but he will be saved. Yet it will be like an escape through fire. So a few things in this text are important to us as we get the, get the definition of what it means to join Jesus in his mission. So Jesus has a story. He has, he has enacted a story when he created the universe, a part of creating the universe as a part of the Trinity. And he is inviting us into that story. He's inviting us into the story that now is defined most characteristically by mission. So with that in mind, there's a few things in this text that help us define what that means, help us get some, some context to building our story. The first one is uh, in several different phrases here. Uh, you'll see them on the screen as they're highlighted. But um, in verse, verse number 5 in the middle, Paul talks about the fact that he and Apollos were given an assignment. And then later on, he goes on and says uh, in, verse, in verse number verse number 9, for you, we are God's co-workers, you are God's... Uh, Field, God's building, and then verse 10, according to me, God's grace was, according to God's, how God's grace was given to me as a skilled master builder. In both scenarios, what we see is that it's important for us to understand that we must live mission within our giftedness. So God has called us to discover our strengths, our gifts. And, and I know a lot of us walk in here and we have certain ideas about what gifts mean, um, whether that's scripturally or whether we come from an organization that talks about strengths a lot. But it was important for Paul not to define that and leave that. Um, uh, he wanted to leave a bit of ambiguity here in this text and emphasize the reality that each one of us has a different way we serve, each, a, a different way we contribute or a part of the story. Uh, Paul goes on to say right, right there in the middle that no matter which one, whether you water or whether you, whether you plant, you are all one. Or as the Holman Christian Standard Version says, you are equal. So what that means is for no matter what part of the role you play, which, whatever part of the mission you're in, whatever gift you use, uh, you are an a equal part of the mission. You may be the person who serves or the person who cleans the house before the, before the mission party. Uh, you may be the person who, um, who uh, cooks. You may be the person who is fun to talk to sitting on the couch. Whatever part you play, God uses your strengths, your gifts to move the mission forward. The next thing I notice as I read this text is, is this multiple, it's said multiple times is that it's God who gives the growth, right? We see it in verse 6. We see it in verse 7. We see in verse 10 that we are, verse 9, that we are God's field, God's building. So what God helps us understand is that the results are up to Him. That yes, we are to apply our strengths, we're to apply our gifts, we're to use our gifts in service to the mission, but at the end of the day, the growth, the work, the effect, the impact is truly and genuinely up to God. Now, this is important for us to lock in our minds as we move on to the next, the next idea. But before we do that, think about the, the book of Acts. What power the church was described having in the book of Acts. When, when they met or when they were out in the city, God worked with power. Uh, there's a story in Acts chapter 2 when Peter began to preach. He preaches like a three-minute sermon. You wish today would be a, a Peter three-minute sermon, right? He preaches like a three-minute sermon. And thousands of people become believers and follow Jesus. That's the kind of power that the early church experienced. When they went out on mission, they began to pray for people and pray that they would be healed, and they were healed. The early church experienced the presence and power of God in supernatural, significant, divine intervention ways. And maybe you ask the question, why don't we see God working as powerfully? Uh, why don't I see God working that powerfully in my life? Here, here's what I believe about that. And I think this text helps us understand it more effectively and more clearly than ever. It's that 
When we join God in His mission, instead of asking God to join us in our mission, we will experience the intervention and power of God. God will give the growth. Notice it doesn't say God might give the growth. It says that God will give the growth. God will transform people's lives. God will bring people into the grace and glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ as we leverage our gifts and strengths and service to the mission. Now that's important as we get to the next piece of this. Remembering that God's in control. God is the, or- the orchestra director, right? I'm just playing my part. I'm waiting. Now when I was in, I was in seventh grade, I was a part of an orchestra for one year. My mother was a music teacher. She made me. <laughs> um, and during that time, during that, those, those years of playing, I played saxophone. And as a, a seventh grader who was, who was uh, I was probably like four foot two. I don't really know how tall I was. But I remember myself being about four foot two, uh, shorter than this stool. In my, in my head, I was shorter than this stool. Well, as a part of this orchestra, I played a baritone sax. Does anyone know what a baritone sax is? Well, if you know what a baritone sax is, you know that it is taller than this stool. So I played a saxophone that was taller than I was. And no matter how tall I was, that's how I felt playing this huge baritone sax. And I can remember being there with my huge baritone sax. This actually wasn't like this. It was more like up in, up in the sky, like looking up at it. It was my, it was my like uh, structure in front of me. I held on to it. Uh, it, it. It held on to me. I didn't hold on to it. Maybe is a better way to say it. So I was waiting for my moment in the, as the orchestra played. We were playing the, the song Green Sleeves, one of my favorite Christmas songs. And we played it in the Christmas concert. And I was waiting for my turn for the orchestra director to look at me and point and for me to play on my big baritone sax, my solo for Green Sleeves. It was my one shiny musical moment before today. (laughs) I was a part of the orchestra. I was waiting for the orchestra director just to point to me. But I could trust the orchestra director. She knew when it was my turn. She knew that if I played my notes at the right moment, at the right time, it would become a part of a big, beautiful whole. And that big, beautiful song put together with other songs could create the movement that she desired to be made. I just had to trust the orchestra, orchestra director and do my part. Uh, some of the other things that are really interesting about this text, with that in our context is, I mentioned earlier while we are reading it that there's, there's a reason why verse 6 is repeated again in verse 7 and in some ways in verse 8. There's a difference between the verb tenses. I know that's always exciting when somebody says verb tenses. But there's a difference between the verb tenses in verse 6 and verse 7. And here's the simple part of it. In verse 6, when, when, Paul, says, I, or when Paul says, I planted and Apollos watered, those are, those are just statements of fact. Those happened. They were events. In verse 7 and verse 8, when he says uh, someone waters and someone plants, those are, those are verbs that picture pre- progressive, continual action. And it helps us understand and know that the mission, being a part of the mission, is a process. It's not a one-time thing. So when I grew up in church, when you wanted to help someone know about Jesus, there were only a couple ways people did it. And uh, I joined them. Uh, you, you went and knocked on doors. You, you walked around neighborhoods and you knocked on doors. This is really, really weird. It's, it, it's, it, as weird as it sounds, if you've never done it, it's weirder than that. So you knock on doors. And as weird as it was for me, I bet it was a thousand times weirder if you're on the other side of the door, right? So you'd knock on doors. Somebody would let you in and you would sit down and you would ask them weird questions like, can I ask you about what your thoughts are on Jesus? Which if you want to start an awkward conversation, that's usually a pretty good way to start an awkward conversation. Probably slightly even uh, more awkward. Can I ask you what your opinion is on Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton? 
right? I mean, you just don't walk into somebody's house and ask this question. Or we would do it on the sidewalk, or we'd do it on the streets, or we'd do it on street corners, right? That's the way we lived. I'm not saying that's absolutely wrong. There's nothing wrong with that morally, but I think there's a reason why we don't see that being enacted much anymore because it's not a very effective strategy. And based on the uh, examples we see from Paul and Jesus and everyone else, it's not, a very, it's not the most biblical strategy because it's not built on the context of a relationship. For us to evangelize and join Jesus in his mission in the most effective way, we have to, we have to engage in intimate relationships. And we have to understand that it's a process. It's a process. I may be the one who gets to have one conversation with someone. And if it's all up to me, if I'm the one who gives the growth, then I've got to get that thing from A to Z. Boy, I better get my P's and Q's right. I've got to check my theology 101. I've got to go through my memory verse cards, make sure I don't miss one, make sure I don't miss quote one, get out my track and go through it a few times. If you've never seen a gospel track, ask, ask a friend later about it. I've got to get it right. A to Z, it's up to me. That's if the growth comes from Lance. But if God is in control, if there's an orchestra director directing the great musical concert, then I'm just waiting for him to tell me to play my part. Now speak up. And maybe my part today is just a smile to tell someone how you're doing. Hope you have a great day. Maybe my part is to invite someone in my home to just let me serve them and love on them, to feed them a meal. Maybe my part is to see the homeless guy at the corner of the street instead of giving him a dollar, invite him to go to Waffle House with me. Share a waffle. Sometimes my part is to, even with the fear that sometimes is involved in this conversation, say, hey, we've been talking for a while. Can I tell you where I find hope? Can I tell you where, what Jesus means to me? You see, for years I thought I was responsible for the growth. And because of that, every conversation I had, I was responsible for A to Z. This text, this picture teaches me that it's a process. And I'm just waiting on the orchestra director to point to me. A couple other quick things, and then we're going to move to the main, main point. In the middle of verse, verse 8, he talks about uh, each one will receive his reward, his reward. I want to point out that that is most likely partaking in the harvest. So if you were a, a field worker during this time, the reward that you would receive would be that if the harvest was good, you got to have part of it. So this isn't, isn't monetary reward in this scenario. It's the fact that you got to partake in the, in the harvest. And it's a, it's a way, in my opinion, for Paul to say we would experience the true harvest we pursue. And with that in mind, uh, keep, keep the right picture in your head in the scenario that, that Paul is painting for us. He's painting a picture of a scenario of harvest that is a multiplying harvest. So when I grew up, we, we did some farming when I was growing up and some and all kinds of different, you know, we did some farming when I grew up. And when it, we, we, with our, uh, our yield, the crops that we got, we took them and we ate them. Uh, the reason we took them and ate them is because we could go get seeds somewhere the next year and plant those seeds and then have more crops and then we could take those and eat them. And then we would go to the, the, the farm store and get more seeds the next year and, and get those crops and grow them and eat them, right? That's what we do today. If you grow a garden, that's pretty much the way it works. During this time, where did you get your seeds? You grew them, right? 
So for a harvest to be a multiplying harvest exponentially, as you, as you, as you harvest your product, as you harvest your, your crop, you can't just be thinking about the here and now. You have to see the harvest multiply exponentially. So Paul is helping us realize that in the mission, we can't just be focused on the moment of conversion. We have to help the moment of conversion turn in a multi, into a multiplying harvest. Uh, that means that instead of us just focusing on the mission and, and someone saying, yes, I want to become a believer, we want to help them become multiplying believers. Disciples who make disciples. Followers of Jesus who help other people become followers of Jesus. And then mature and help other people become followers of Jesus. We can't just focus on the harvest moment, but we have to focus on being, uh, having a multiplying harvest. That is the point of Paul. He goes on to tell us what the foundation is. Verse number 11, because no one can lay any other foundation than that has been laid, that is Jesus Christ. His point is this, is that it's all about Jesus. It's all about the gospel. We as believers, as we're on mission, the point, our goal, our mission is not to get people in our political party. It's not to get people's lives to be different. It's not moral reformation. It's not to get people to stop acting a certain way and start acting a certain way. It's to get people to start building their life on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Because what we know is, is that if we try to get people to act differently, they never will. The same way that you never will, the same way that I never will, we aren't in the business of moral reformation. We're in the business of gospel transformation through Jesus Christ. And in order to encounter gospel transformation, you don't start with, you don't start with trying to make people do better and be better. You start by introducing them to the person of Jesus and then Jesus transforms them. Paul is saying that that is the focus of the mission. That's how we do this and do this well. I'm going to skip through some other things I plan to say, and I want to get to the main point and close this down. It's so mind-blowing to me. In verse 9, For we are God's co-workers. This word co-workers is a word that is used by Paul very frequently. He really likes this word. Most of the time, Paul says something along the lines of this. He says, he says, uh, Timothy and I, we go together. We are co-workers. Hey, when Silas comes to see you, make sure you receive him like you would receive me because we are co-workers. He's on my team. But who does he say we're co-workers now? Whose team are we on now? I'm not just on Paul's team. I'm not on your team. You're not just, not just on my team. I'm not just on your team. We're on God's team. Be like if you're walking up to play pickup on the basketball court and LeBron James looked over and said, hey, I got you. I don't think I could even mess that up on the basketball court. That's a pretty good teammate. Here's the big idea of the whole text to me. If we look at all the, the word pictures, if we look at this phrase, I think the big idea is this. The, the overarching idea is this, is that missions is a team sport. It's not meant to be done alone. You're not supposed to live on mission by yourself. You're supposed to do that with other people. I mean, it's exactly what Paul did. Paul never went on mission trips by himself. Paul never engaged on the mission as an individual. He always had a cohort, an entourage. Where did he learn that from? Jesus. Jesus went on mission with other people. We know about the 12 apostles. Most of the time there were several women with him as well. Jesus had a group of people going on mission with him all the time. Even the imagery that Jesus uses most of the time to teach us about what it means to go on mission, he uses the imagery of fishing. Now, when I think of fishing as a redneck from Alabama, I think of getting my bass, my bass pole you know, out and throwing it out in the line, get my lure out. I love it, you know, just going over. That's what I think of. In this day, when you fish, you got on a boat with like 10 people. 
He threw a net in the water, and all ten of you grabbed the fish and pulled them in. Fishing was a team sport. Missions is a team sport. Even the, even the mission statement of the church, our marching orders. If you, if you remember reading the King James Version, it says, Go ye into all the world. Anybody remember that? Now, ye is a plural version of the word you. So in the King James, there's a singular you, thou, and a plural you, plural you ye. That's because it's a ye. Now, I think a better translation of that might be y'all. Just, just throwing that out there as a potential theoretical translation. Mission is a team sport. Or if you want to say it like, like the, in the reference to that, that idea, the call is for a y'all. The call's not for a you. The call is for a y'all. So Jesus invites us into his mission. The beautiful gospel story, the beautiful idea that Jesus looked into a world and saw a world that had decided that it didn't want the provision and the grace and the favor and the presence of God. And God sent his son on mission into the world. And said, I will stand in their place. I will serve them. I will love them. I will sacrifice my life in, in, their, in their place for their sins so that they can return into relationship for me. He redeemed us. He reconciled us on the cross, forgiving us for our sins through His grace. Not because of how good we are. Not because we promised Him that we're going to do better or we're going to try harder or we're going to stop doing this sin or start doing this thing better. He said that because of nothing that you do and only because of what I do, I give you my life. God sent Jesus into the world on a mission to redeem us. And he rose from the dead and he created the church and now he invites us into his mission. He invites us into his story. Jesus invites us to be a part of a better story. Living out mission as we heard Paul describe it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Think about the power of that story. When you're sitting at home changing that baby's diaper for the fifth time in the last hour... Who could that baby become? When you go into the neighborhood that no one else wants to go to, and you invite some friends to sit around your table from that neighborhood, and you share a meal together and you love each other, play a card game together, Jesus is inviting you into his mission. Jesus is inviting for us to step out of like he stepped out of the glories and the comforts of heaven, the glories and comforts sometimes of the middle, middle class American life. And into those who need love, into those who need grace, into those who need a friend, he's inviting us in his story to be on mission. Not individually, as a team, as a community. One last story to help us maybe get this idea that we're all looking for a better story and to bring home this this concept of the story Jesus is bringing us into. One of my favorite books and movies is Lord of the Rings. Anybody else in here Lord of the Rings fans? Okay. Um, some sanctification needs to be done in some areas of the room. Uh, in the middle of the story, in the middle of Lord of the Rings, uh, two of the main characters, Frodo and Samwise. Uh, Frodo is, is considered by many the main character. If he's not, then Samwise would be. And they're on a journey uh, to destroy a ring. And this ring uh, and kind of pictures evil power. It's a beautiful story. 
And they're on a journey to destroy it. In the middle of one of their journeys, Samwise says to Frodo, it's like the great stories. He's referring to the journey they're on. It's like the great stories, the ones that really matter, full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't know the end because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, in the end it's only the passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness will pass. A new day will come. The sunshine, it will shine out the clearer. For those, those are the stories that stay with you that mean something, even if you were too small to understand why. I know now folk in those stories had lots of chances to turn back. Only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something. What are you holding on to? Sam asked Frodo. Frodo responds that there's something good in this world and it's worth fighting for. For us, that's the gospel. But here's the beauty of it to me. A little few scenes later, Sam Juan says, I wonder if we'll ever be put into any songs or tales or stories from old. I wonder if people ever say, let's hear about Frodo and the ring. Yes, it's one of my favorites. Frodo was really courageous, wasn't he, Dad? Yes, my boy, the most famousest of hobbits. Frodo responds, You've left out one of the chief characters, Samwise the Brave. I want to hear more about Sam. Frodo wouldn't have gotten far without Sam. Samwise is a little bit put back. Now, Mr. Frodo, you shouldn't make fun. I was being serious. And Frodo answers, So was I. And then you see Sam in the back of the kind of the crowd, the entourage walking. He says to himself in a whisper, Samwise the Brave. Now if you know how the story ends, if you don't, this is going to be a spoiler for you. You should have read the book already. Or at least watched the movie. <laughs> when you get to the end, Frodo goes to throw this ring of power, this evil ring, into the, into the fires of Mordor to destroy it. And he can't do it. And it's Sam that in this story was given the bravery to take the ring and make sure it ended up in Mordor. Sam heard and he believed a greater story. Let the gospel and the story of Christ and the mission he wants you to join him in be your greater story to give you the bravery to be a part of an adventure that even, even makes this adventure pale in comparison. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. This concludes our Remix series. To learn more about Restoration Church or to hear other messages in this series, please visit us at www.restorationchurch.us.